Carl's Jr.'s new guacamole double cheeseburger is only 299 bucks. You forgot the decimal? Only 299 bucks. Not decibel, decimal. The guacamole double cheeseburger is only $2.99 at Carl's Jr. Oops. Available for a limited time. Price of participation may vary. Tax not included. The following program is a Drop D podcast production. Darkmyths.org and the Apples Media Group proudly present to you the Lone Gunman Podcast. Feature your host, Rob Clark, where research comes to shine and myths come to die. Stay tuned. Be right there. This is episode number 153. And returning to the show, I have a special guest, a crackpot historian himself, Mr. Adam Go Rightly. How's it going? Good, Rob. Good to talk to you again, man. Yeah, man. It's been a been a couple years, and uh, of course, we've both been doing all kinds of different stuff since then, but mm-hmm. we are still interested in the assassination and all the crazy goings-on in New Orleans and the crazy characters. Indeed. Um, yeah. So recently, I guess within the past six months or so, you've you've done a very interesting series on the Reverend Raymond Brashears. Yep. Can you tell everybody a little bit about Raymond Brashears? They probably heard the name, but uh, like I, I I mainly know him as him claiming to have been one of Fairy's roommates at, at one point in time. Yeah, I started on. Going back through uh, what I wrote on my Historia Discordia site, which uh, is a website dealing with uh, the history of the Discordian Society, which was a uh, spoof religion, more or less. And uh, the founders of that were Greg Hill and Carrie Thornley. And so Carrie Thornley, as we know, besides the the Discordian connection, uh, was associated with the Oswald and uh, Garrison and the Kennedy assassination. So I also write about that at the uh, site. And one of the key witnesses, quote-unquote witnesses against uh, Thornley was this uh, character, Raymond, the Reverend Raymond Brochures, who was indeed a uh, character. A little background on the dude. Oh, gosh, where to start, man? He was... uh, a pretty interesting fellow doing during the course I was writing this, you know, this guy's pretty damn obscure character. And I was, uh, I think I had just started this series. It's like a six part series. Uh, and an article, uh, came out in, uh, what was it? Uh, Newsweek or time magazine. I forget now. Uh, I think it was uh, Newsweek and, uh, 
the lead story on the cover was Raymond brochures. I go, what the fuck's going on here? Yeah. And they'd uh, gone back and kind of somebody looked into uh, his history and they found out that he had started this group called the Lavender Panthers <laughs> in uh, San Francisco in the uh, late sixties. He was uh brochures um, uh, among other things was a uh, gay rights activist during that uh, critical, you know, the period in the uh, late sixties, early seventies, when things started getting uh, crazy there in San Francisco and uh, you know, with Harvey milk and that whole scene. So oh, yeah. in, in the uh, actually it was the early seventies, he started this group, the lavender Panthers, because there was, uh, he lived in the tenderloin of, San Francisco for any listeners familiar with that area, which where you know, a lot of the gay population was. And uh, there was a, a period where uh, the uh, gays were uh, getting beat up by gangs. So uh, brochures started this group to combat it, you know, it was sort of like the, his answer to the black Panthers, uh, the lavender Panthers. And they uh, armed themselves yeah, they armed themselves and uh, they had classes in the martial arts and, you know, it was a contingent of uh, gay guys and also lesbians. And uh, a lot of it was like a self-promotion thing. I'm, I'm not sure how much <laughs> actual fisticuffs uh, brochures traded with anybody, but, you know, they definitely made a statement. So that's one of his claims to fame, but... Going back, you know, his association with uh, the Garrison investigation. Um, oh boy, this gets pretty damn uh, convoluted. I guess the place to start is uh, in ninth August of '68. Uh, Brochures uh, shows up on a local uh, talk television show in Los Angeles called the Stan Borman Show. And during that show, he claims, you know, this is right when the uh, Garrison investigation was really starting to roll. This is the summer of 68. And uh, Brochures claims during that interview that he had known David Ferry. He lived with uh, David Ferry, was a roommate and lover, I guess, in uh, 1965 in New Orleans. And uh, – he claimed that uh, Ferry told him about, you know, the whole thing where he was a getaway pilot or, you know, a backup getaway pilot for the JFK assassination. And uh, brochures also claimed that he met uh, Clay Shaw, who was, you know, going by the Clem Bertrand alias, uh, supposedly met him in a gay bar the same night. He supposedly met uh, Ferry, also claimed that uh, – uh, Shaw Bertrand grabbed his ass and he didn't like that and they got a little altercation <laughs> this guy has all kinds of stories and he also claimed uh, that he had uh, met with uh, Kerry Thornley during this uh, period and that Thornley was part of this group that uh, was allegedly you know, part of the uh, JSK assassination uh, conspiracy so that's kind of where the uh, story starts so he he was on that uh, talk show in Los Angeles and uh, 
Garrison, you know, had a lot of these independent investigators across the country, which they called themselves the Grassy Knoll Irregulars, or they they got that name. And one of them was this uh, guy, and oh crap, I'm forgetting his uh, name now. I have to go look. Uh, oh, Steve Jaffe. Yeah, these names will come to me. There's so many names, um, and J- Jaffe was a pretty young dude at that time but he got involved as a you know quote unquote independent investigator jeffy uh he's still around he's been involved in hollywood he was involved with uh, the making of the movie executive action he played some role in that later on you know which is one of the most popular jfk assassination movies and he also married uh susan blakey if you remember her from rich man poor man she won a emmy that might be before your time, but so anyway, he he saw that uh, program and he became interested. Wow, Garrison needs to know about this. And Mark Lane was out there too. Jaffe told Mark Lane, and they were both pressuring uh, brochures, you know, to go test talk to uh, Garrison. Brochures was at that point was having none of it. He wasn't sure what Garrison was up to, and he didn't want to get involved, you know. Um. One other thing I should point out that uh, during that uh, television program where he came out with all these claims about knowing Ferry, a caller phoned into the show and uh, asked him, did you threaten the life of uh, President Lyndon Johnson? We don't know who this caller was, but brochures admitted that, uh, yeah, he did. But uh, so anyway, that kind of turns up later in the story. But so brochures didn't want to talk to, you know, talk to Garrison at that point. So he got subpoenaed and then it was a way to New Orleans. He went to testify before the uh, uh, Garrison's grand jury there. Right. And uh, also. I guess get into a little bit about Jack Martin as well back back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how uh, strong the Jack Martin uh, connection is quite yet with uh, brochures, but uh, yeah, we can kind of get to that. Uh, let's see. Uh, as far as uh, so. Brochures was basically brought along by the uh, you know the Garrison bunch and one of kind of his handler besides uh, Steve Jaffe was Barbara Reed who was another main witness against uh, Carrie Thornley. She was another crazy uh, character who was kind of undersung with the Garrison investigation. She kind of played a large role, but she's not really mentioned that much nowadays and. Uh, she was kind of unique. Uh, she was part of bringing back traditional jazz, you know, to New Orleans back in the late fifties and sixties. And she was involved in a lot of, a lot of, uh, different activities. And, um, when Carrie Thornley and Greg Hill moved there in the early sixties, uh, they lived there for a couple of years and, uh, New Orleans, they kind of started a branch of the Discordian Society there, their spoof religion. And uh, 
Barbara Reed was one of the members of that uh, group. So she and uh, Thornley were friends. Uh, she was also uh, known as Mother Witch. She was a voodoo practitioner, kind of a crazy, colorful character that, uh, uh, according to some accounts, wasn't you know completely right in the head all of the time, like uh, not unlike our friend brochures, but. Mm. Uh, she was a witness in the case, but she was also um, kind of – she was part of the investigation for a period of time and worked uh, kind of as a PR person. She did a lot of work with Harold Weisberg, and it was her and Harold Weisberg that uh, came up with the theory or you know, uh, the uh, suspicion that uh, – Thornley was involved in all of this, and he was one of the Oswald doubles, yeah. uh, you know, set up Oswald. And what she claimed was that uh, she uh, had been at a place called the Bourbon House, which was a restaurant bar where a lot of these people hung out. And Thornley was there one day when uh, Oswald was supposedly uh, there, and they were together and. Uh, Barbara Reed witnessed them together. So that was her main uh, claim against uh, Thornley. And that kind of got Garrison going on, you know, uh, this deal that uh, uh, Thornley was involved uh, as a part of the uh, assassination team or cover-up team, etc. And so when they brought brochures in, uh, you know, he might have been led to, you know – he might have been shown some pictures. Do you know Carrie Thornley? And <laughs> uh, who knows? And he might have had some foreknowledge about the case. By that time, a lot of the information was starting to get out about uh, Thornley supposedly being a suspect in the case. The deal is with brochures, as far as I've been able to tell. He claims he met uh, Thornley in 65 in New Orleans, but uh, – during that period, Thornley was in Los Angeles, so I don't really have him in New Orleans uh, during that time period, nor does anybody else who's really uh, looked at him. His He kind of left uh, New Orleans in late 63 uh, after the uh, assassination. Another uh, researcher, David Blackburst, I think his name was. You might be familiar with that name. Oh, yeah. He interv- He interviewed uh, – brochures and he couldn't he he was dubious that brochures <laughs> had ever actually been in new orleans during that 65 period so there, there, a lot of uh, questions i'm i'm dubious i think uh brochures for the most part was a crackpot but yeah or during the new david ferry at all yeah yeah now that i have a friend tim cridlin who says he Possibly has some information showing brochures there, but I haven't seen that yet. So, uh, so anyway, during his testimony, you know, this is kind of the period where uh, Garrison was getting um, one of the uh, tributaries he was going down. I'm not sure what led him down this, but uh, what he called odd sex. And that's S-E-C-T-S, 
oddball religions. Uh, he felt uh, some of these people were involved in the assassination as like front organizations or who knows what. And, um, and so with brochures, he was kind of a uh, pseudo uh, reverend. And he got, you know, brochures got his credentials through the Universal Life Church, which <laughs> a bunch of people got uh, credentials back in the, the 60s. Uh, they started that group in uh, California, and they'd give uh, credentials to anybody, basically. So that's where a lot of these guys initially, uh, you know, got their uh, minister's credentials and, you know, started their own uh, some of them started their own religions, like uh, brochures. He, he was he started a couple different uh, churches there in uh, San Francisco. He was involved with a lot of uh, kind of fringy stuff. He was involved in uh, UFO uh, research and put on uh, UFO conferences, and that's kind of where it looks like he connected up with. Uh, Beckham and uh, Chris and uh, Chrisman through either uh, interacting with them about UFOs or he became aware that they were involved with the Universal Life Church. And, you know, Garrison caught wind of this, some of his investigators. And what's going on here with all these kind of fake priests that are uh, running around with dubious uh, credentials, you know, like such as Beckman, uh, Chrisman was involved in the Universal Life Church and other uh, pe people. I mean, uh, same with Ferry and uh, Jack Martin. They all had these dubious uh, credentials and started like phony, a lot of times these uh, phony organizations, uh, particularly uh, – Chrisman and uh, Beckham started a bunch together in uh, 66 or 67, started at a uh, bunch of phony uh, businesses where they are, for instance, selling uh, criminology degrees for like $500. <laughs> none, none of them were law enforcement uh, people. Well, didn't they, they also kind of put on like a UFO conference? Yeah. But Beckman and uh, Chrisman put on a, a couple of UFO uh, conferences, so they were working a bunch of different uh, scams and angles, you know, to uh, self-promote themselves and, uh, you know, just hook up with other uh, like-minded people or gullible people they could get money from, you know? Yeah, that sounds more likely. <laughs> and... This this whole odd sex or weird religions, there's a whole file I came across, you know, in the National Archives. The uh, conspiracy researcher Peter Lavinda in recent years kind of picked up with that, what he called these uh, wandering bishops. I'm sure you're familiar with that oh, whole yeah. thing, that all these guys, Chrisman and uh, Beckman and Brochures and Martin and Ferry, they were all – Basically, uh, these spooky intelligence agency-associated uh, assassins using, you know, clerical robes to uh, disguise their true activities, which were as uh, assassins that traveled around the country uh, 
working for God knows, you know, the military industrial complex or the Illuminati. And uh, so anyway, that. Yeah, because it said, you know, like uh, reverends or ministers or people of the cloth could get into these places and and a whole lot easier than just a normal mm -hmm. person could, you know. Just, yeah, and uh, with uh, starting your own church religion, you know, you get the nonprofit status. So there was, there was a lot of angles these guys were playing, and what they would do is they'd also uh, trade uh, certificates uh, for the different uh, scams they had going on. So, you know, hey, you give me a religious degree, Beck Beckham, and uh, – Another one like Chrisman will say, I'll give you a criminology degree. So yeah. <laughs> after a while, they had, you know, the whole string of uh, phony degrees and credentials on and on. You'll see that in like Beckman's uh, testimony where, you know, it's like a guy in his early 20s and he has <laughs> he's claiming that he's a psychiatrist and a criminologist and all these other things it's like what? <laughs> Oh yeah, and uh, I like the I like the wallet of uh, was it Earl Earl James Anglin <laughs> that they found in 1970 with all those cards in it. Yeah, I'd have to look at that again, but I think uh, that's where um, Martin must have been hooked up uh, with him. I think they were trading uh, credentials, and he, so he was you know this Anglin guy. Um, he was somebody else that. Uh, either Garrison, uh, whatever, maybe Martin <laughs> gave him some of these business cards or said, you know, look at this uh, guy here, Anglin. I think he was in Canada. So, you know, so a lot of these names came up on uh, Garrison's radar, all these uh, characters. Oh, yeah. And, and he was another self-proclaimed bishop in the old Roman Catholic Church like fair. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right, right. Basically, had like get out of jail free cards, you know, from, from the uh, you know the state, the governor, and uh, just oh, all yeah. that crazy stuff. Yeah, so uh, I mean, Beck Beckham was playing that angle pretty early on uh, too in uh, New Orleans. That you know the period when Oswald was there, Beckham was uh, going around in uh, like a Catholic. Uh, priest gear, clerical, uh, you know, robe and whatnot, and collecting uh, donations for uh, Cubans in New Orleans. And so, you know, that might be one of the initial reasons that uh, Garrison was suspicious of him. Oh, yeah. And, you, you know, using the, these churches as a front mm -hmm. was pretty pretty ingenious really i mean yeah i think it was i mean he, he this guy beckham i mean he was running so many cons i mean it's it's just hard to keep straight um but with yeah with, when it comes to beckham though you know i've been looking into him for a while and you know looking at his grand jury testimony looking at his hsca testimony mm. and look at the various documents we have now and I know you talked to Larry Hancock a little bit about him and Chrisman as well, um, about really what in the heck they were doing down there. Mm -hmm. And it just seems, you know, he's 
being a country singer and under the name of Mark Evans. Uh, you know, yeah, all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, as far as we know, I I know uh, you know uh, Beckham's testimony, New Orleans, and the uh, House Select Committee and assassination. It's pretty contradictory at times, and he makes a lot of uh, claims. But what we do know for sure about those two dudes, Beckham and Crisman. At least, you know, if we look at uh, initially the uh, New Orleans grand jury testimony of both those guys, that they first met in uh, uh, the Tacoma area in like late 66, 67, and uh, how Beckham said he found out about uh, Chrisman was through a magazine where Chrisman was – advertising for a psychic research organization that he had at that time. And once again, that was just a number of uh, different, you know, phony, pseudo phony groups that uh, or you know, half legitimate, whatever things that uh, Chrisman had uh, going on. And Beckham was interested in the paranormal UFOs and those topics. So apparently they hooked up at that time and, uh, uh, Beckham had, you know, one of the things, budding career as a rockabilly or country singer is this Mark Evans. And apparently that's uh, the reason that they uh, traveled to uh, New Orleans. And they they had to, tr- to try to get his career going. And uh, Chrisman, I've, I'm not sure where I saw this little uh, – because that's, that's the heart of country music, right, New Orleans? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, kind of rock, whatever. He was a rockabilly singer. and uh, But what uh, I think the scam they were trying to pull is Chrisman at that time, you know, he had some connections with uh, uh radio station there in uh, Tacoma. You know, he had his own kind of right-wing uh, – commentator show there for a couple years during that uh, period and he had learned that if you if you could uh like uh, you know press a record then buy a bunch of copies buy them yourself <laughs> and if you you know you hit a certain level of sales then that would get you uh bring it you know start uh moving up the uh charts and you could uh get airplay easier, you know, so that was, that was part of the scam, but, you know, according to his uh, testimony there, he, he went out to uh, New Orleans with Beckham to start this uh, music uh, career, and it uh, never panned out, I mean, (laughs) I don't know if he ever actually performed anywhere, really, they made posters and uh, stuff, but it was like uh, Beckman made Beckham made promises that he couldn't uh, keep, and the whole thing fizzled out eventually. So I'd, his uh, singing career was like a lot of things; was probably a whole lot of nothing. Yeah, yeah. I was I watched that uh, that YouTube video of him preaching. Oh yeah. Well, I, I found that I started uh, <laughs> looking around for the guy, and it's like, uh, well, let's pop his name into. Uh, YouTube and there he is. Uh, forget the date now. The mid uh, 
2000, he was still, uh, you know, involved in, uh, as a minister. I mean, he's been all types of minister, a rabbi, a Baptist preacher, a <laughs> Catholic priest, you know, whatever, whatever works. Psychologist, uh, I think now, now he's like a drug, drug, drug counselor. Is he still? When's yeah. the last you heard about him? Well, I, I found a little a couple of weeks ago. I was just roaming the internet, and I found a where he's like has a, some kind of a practice where he's like a drug abuse counselor. But you mm. can contact him. I sent an email, you know, <laughs> just off off the chance that he would actually respond, but he didn't. Of course, he didn't. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, just it just seems like this guy's been one after the other, just con after con after con after con. And it, I, I just I, I skipped through his little sermon. You know, it, it, he did. He well, did, so did I. <laughs> yeah, he did a fairly decent job. You know, as a, as a preacher, you know, he was getting some applause. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, basically reading his uh, his sermon up there. But yeah, I, I just don't. I I just can't believe in him i guess you could say <laughs> all the stuff he's been through i mean people change of course but everything that he, this guy has been through in his life it's just hard to believe that it's well it's, yeah he's been see. using that preacher racket for a long time yeah and i think it's just another racket where it's not a real job and he can make a good bit of money and you know, donations 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 you know mm-hmm. seems like he's been on the donation kick for a while <laughs> And he actually has ties, I guess, to J- to Jack Martin. Thomas Beckham does. Well, that's that's a matter of contention. <laughs> yeah. Um, he he alleges that he does. Yeah, and uh, I, kind of, I wrote about that. You know that uh, that series that he was a self-proclaimed prodigy of uh, Jack Martin, but then you know I started looking and I go. Hmm, what can you believe about uh, this guy, you know? I'm kind of dubious. I really can't place them uh, together. It's possible, but I – and, you know, I wrote in that article. You probably noticed I uh, asked Larry Hancock, and Larry Hancock doesn't believe they had any uh, connection. They ran in – you know, there was concentric uh, circles, but uh, – he could never place them, you know. Uh, Beckham Beckham was saying that, yeah, he was uh, Martin's boy, and that he visited uh, uh, what's the uh, guy the guy's office? Uh, oh shit, the name the key the key uh, oh, dude. Guy Bannister. Yeah, Guy Bannister's uh, yeah. office, but uh, who knows? Maybe another tall tale that Beckham uh, latched on to just, you know, for <laughs> whatever reasons. Part of it's self-promotion, perhaps. Uh, part of it, he's kind of a uh, crazy screwball. Uh, who knows? I know in his book, he, he was pretty adamant that that uh, Jack Martin was a, a CIA agent. And, and Chris, uh, Chrisman as well. Yeah, yeah Chrisman as well. But he... The, he he was really idolizing Jack Martin. You know, he's he's this great yeah. guy. He could get still stuff done with a you know one phone call. He, <laughs> he messed around. People respected him, and 
Yeah, I don't know. That doesn't quite sound like Martin, but <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's been a while since I read the House Select Committee uh, testimony, and I haven't. I browsed his book. <laughs> you shared that with me a while back, and also Joan Mellon uh, really based a lot of her book. Farewell to Justice on Beckham. She, you know, she believes the story. And uh, what it said in there is that uh, she had gotten a letter, and actually it was a letter Chrisman supposedly had given to Beckham and whatever. Wherever this letter came from, it supposedly prove that uh, Chrisman was his CIA handler and that uh, Beckham was cha- uh, trained by a uh, by some obscure clandestine <laughs> branch in the military to be an assassin. Yeah. And so uh, Mellon puts a lot of stock in that. I don't. <laughs> no, I'd like to see the, see the letter first or whatever evidence uh, yeah, well, she says she has. A lot of that stuff, I mean, hell, Chrisman probably wrote it himself. Wasn't there, wasn't there a bunch yeah. of files that, you know, basically were stamped, fabricated? and? Well, yeah, there was, and you've seen all this stuff. Uh, there's one that's like a uh, several-page memo that's supposedly written by, like, a uh, CIA or some type of intelligence uh Officer, uh, some kind of uh, memo about Chrisman, several pages, and it, it. We don't know. There's really no name of who wrote it, and it doesn't really look like any uh, CIA or those type of documents I've ever seen. Then the the way it's written, it's just kind of outlandish sounding, and so anyway, that was part of the evidence. People point to that and I think you know the several page uh, memo I'm talking about Oh yeah. Uh, and then there's the one pager that's once again it was sent to Garrison uh, from anonymous source, we, there's no name on it to claim that uh, what Clay Shaw called uh, Chrisman the day before the assassination or something so th- those are uh those documents and those claims, you know, get repeated uh, again and again. But you know, when you trace them back to where they came from, it's like, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> there's no real proof there. And w- we know how Chrisman uh, and Beckton like to make shit up. So who knows? Oh yeah, and but you can kind of tie. I think you had a letter to to Raymond Brashears from Beckham in the mm-hmm. article. Yeah. yeah. What was it 68 maybe? Mhm. And uh yeah, that was basically Beckham was trying to uh uh set up some gigs for himself. So it was like 67 or whatever and he was Beckham was trying to line up like a uh preaching tour they go out to california you know so uh hoping that uh 
brochures could set him up with something. So those those dudes were interacting with, you know, on that circuit, the <laughs> religious circuit, but they were also uh, interacting on the UFO scene because uh, brochures uh, organized a handful of UFO conferences. And uh, like we said before, Beckham and Crisman set up a couple. So, I mean, there was a ne- network of these uh crazy characters interacting across the uh, country. You know, you set up a uh, speaking gig for me here. I'll set up one for you over here. Yeah. Type of stuff. So that, that seems to be their, their interactions, you know? Yeah. I thought it was interesting that, that you have this guy, um, Raymond Brashears interacting with uh, Billy James Hargis, who was, of course, mm-hmm. Crazy <laughs> wing preacher in yeah. Dallas, um, who had very close ties with General Edwin Walker, um, who of course oh, died yeah. the story as well. I've I just recently heard about that. There is uh, if you go to uh, you know archive dot org, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of Hargis uh, FOIA's there. I was looking at recently, just going through them all. Yeah, and he had the connections with uh, Edwin uh, General Edwin Walker. Uh, Hargis was, you know, extreme right wing. They were pushing all this stuff about how communism was uh, basically corrupting the youth of America, kind of a John Birch Society type of uh, stuff, and that's how. Uh, got hooked up with uh Edwin Walker because of their uh you know political affiliations with uh brochures he studied under uh Hargis. That that's what I write about in the uh that first uh uh post I did on uh brochures and uh he was uh Hargis's organization was called the Christian Crusade, and yeah, they also had some type of uh, university or something. So he was studying under Hargis, but then he got uh, kicked out at one point, and I think it uh, he got kicked out because in '65, which it, this kind of ties back into the uh, JFK assassination, kind of sorta. In '65. Brochures. He was also like a civil rights activist. He was getting involved in all this stuff, and he was in Missouri for some type of civil rights uh, protest where he allegedly, uh, <laughs> I guess more than allegedly, groped a young man and got uh, thrown in the uh, local uh, jail there for like six months. And uh, so that kind of put a tainted cloud over him and I uh, got kicked out of uh, Hargis's group. And it, it's kind of weird as I was looking through a lot of, and I put a link to the brochures FOIA, which is pretty extensive. Um, that's, that seems to tie in with the same period that he was in lockup in 1965 that he claimed to be in uh, New Orleans, you know, Right. And uh, 
even backing up before that, he had served in the military, uh, brochures had in the late fifties uh, and he had some type of head injury. So he it caused some uh, mental problems according to uh, a lot of the stuff that were like FBI documents I saw in this FOIA thing. And he was being treated at different <clears throat> veterans administration hospital spittles across the country. So, he had some perhaps mental problems by some kind of head injury while serving in the military. And so this thing happens, and he's in jail in 1965. And so uh, come 68, when he uh, was on television there telling his JFK assassination story, after that he was interviewed by the Steve Jaffe guy I was talking about, that investigator. And uh, brochures told Jaffe that in 1965, he had been picked up by Secret Service agents. The story gets pretty convoluted, but <laughs> as best as I can tell it, it doesn't make a lot of sense when brochures was telling it. He got picked up in 65 sometimes, uh, apparently after he had uh, met Ferry. And they were trying to silence him, so they threatened him and actually offered him a pension, government money, if he would shut his mouth and not talk about the uh, Kennedy assassination. I don't know if he was <laughs> talking about the uh, Kennedy assassination. Apparently, during that time, he said he was institutionalized and threatened by these government goons, and it was at that point that he supposedly threatened the life of uh, – LBJ, a lot of this stuff seems conflated, you know, with when he got uh, arrested for, you know, for uh, being like a, a sex offender in uh, Missouri. So all, <laughs> I, th I think that's what's going on. He had a lot of mental problems and he conflated things about somehow the JFK assassination worked its way in there. Then once uh, Garrison and his group heard about it, well, he became part of the story yeah, sounds even, even even though this shit didn't add up you know uh like i said before thornley he's claimed he's uh met thornley in 65 and quote knew well his slender hips in quote that he had had <laughs> sex <laughs> sex with thornley but thornley really wasn't there during that period you know so uh yeah yeah, it sounds almost a little uh, Richard Richard Case Nagel, who was had, yeah. had a little bit of a brain injury in the in the in the in the uh, in the service as well, and then you know claimed all this stuff with the JFK assassination too. Yeah, I'm a little familiar with that guy. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, it just sounds it sounds a, a lot or a, a little bit like uh, you know Ray Brashear's story. Mm -hmm. And interesting, you know that. Oh, let, let me let me say one more thing. I think uh, the uh, one uh, claim, not necessarily a claim, but uh, Garrison writes about it and on the trail of the assassination, he suspected or his investigators suspected that uh, Thornley had uh, – it was uh, – Thornley, who faked the photo of Oswald in Texas, you know, with the uh, holding the man liquor Carcano and the commie, you know, newsletter. Right, right. And where, you know, Oswald's 
supposedly said that somebody superimposed uh, his head on another body. And uh, so uh, it was brochures who claimed that it was Thornley who did that. (laughs) (laughs) And there was a little bit of a timeline there where that would have been uh, possible. Uh, Thornley did when he was in New Orleans in May – like spring of 63 did travel back to California and pass through uh, Texas. I'm not sure if he passed through Dallas or wherever uh, Oswald uh, was. So kind of sort of not out of the realm of possibility, but that also kind of contradicted other claims that Garrison and Barbara Reed made about uh, Thornley being in uh, New Orleans in the uh, summer of uh, 63, when in reality he had traveled back to California for a few months. It <laughs> gets into a lot of uh, details, you know, but uh, anyway, yeah. that, that, that was the stuff kind of going on with brochures. I'm trying to think if there's any other thing. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much uh, the information he was supplying to Garrison. Yeah, I mean, looking back on the Garrison investigation, you know, of course, many, many years ago before we had all this other information that we have now. Yeah. And, you know, to like to watch the movie, for instance, JFK, you know, and about his investigation. And, you know, I used to put a lot of stock into what he was doing. But now, I mean, you look back on everything and with the revelations recently that there actually was a, a, a Clay Bertrand. Yeah, that was some good information. I hadn't seen that till you shared it with me. I mean, it just seems like Garrison had <laughs> things so screwed up. Like, it was well, just a giant they were, clusterfuck. They were uh, cherry-picking shit, too. You know, they might have had... <laughs> somebody might have had that information about the real uh, Clem Bertrand, you know? There was uh, apparently uh, in this Bertrand guy... I just read through that article once a few weeks when you send it, but he was like a uh, bartender. Is that right? He knew a lot of the people in New Orleans, so he was a source for a lot of information. Actually, a local uh, journalist, TV oh, he was, guy, he was there, announcer there at the yeah, at one of the bars that Oswald was oh. allegedly seen at. Yeah, and when when Dean Andrews. You know, was questioned about who had called him to go to Dallas to um, represent Oswald. You know, he said he had recognized the voice as that of Clay Bertrand, and it's like, yeah. okay. So, you know, the more you look at it, and, but it seems like you know this this Bertrand guy. He was he was a bouncer at, at the show bar there in New Orleans, and he was also the bodyguard for Leander Perez who was a, yeah. a very wealthy, prominent um, district attorney from a neighboring uh, parish mm-hmm. <laughs> and who, who allegedly General Walker came and met with. It was close to the day of the assassination because I think Walker was in New Orleans on the 22nd, and I think he was meeting with Leander Perez, actually. <laughs> so just and all this crazy yeah, there's also a story uh, that uh, 
Thornley was uh, Leander Perez's favorite waiter at the Bourbon House or something. Oh wow, <laughs> that's but crazy. you know it's it was really a small, you know the French Quarter was kind of a small area where everybody knew it, everybody you know so it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it's not out of the realm of possibility that these guys knew each other or ran into each other or, you know, passed passed by each other. <laughs> you know, uh, the uh, – so th- that local journalist there knew who Clem Bertram was because Clem or Clay Bertram, whatever his name was, he was a source for this local uh, journalist TV guide. I don't remember the name now, so – when the uh, trial was going on, I, this journalist must have known what <laughs> what was going on, and well, yeah, he might have shared it with uh, Clay Shaw's attorneys, and they might have had that in their hip pocket, you know. Oh Just, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and we'd like to uh, bring forth a uh, witness, uh, <laughs> yeah. Clay Bertram. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it seems like, <laughs> especially in these smaller circles of homosexuality because there was a lot of it in new orleans at that time and dallas i mean even general walker was gay mm-hmm. and you oh, have all, i didn't know that oh yeah you have all these i mean he was kind of like a undercover <laughs> gay gay guy back then but um they all were <laughs> right you know but it seems like there might have been a circle of these guys that they would they would have known each other on this level you know and it mm-hmm. seems like there was yeah. a lot you know, messing around with younger, younger guys, younger boys mm-hmm. for a lot of these folks. And, you know, I had a guy on the show a couple of weeks ago, Fred Litwin, who he takes offense to Garrison. He, he basically claims that Garrison was, you know, after these guys only because they were homosexual. And <laughs> well, there, there is some merit to that uh, yeah. because Garrison did a bunch of uh, – that's kind of how he came to prominence or early on was that they were kind of raiding and trying a lot of the gay establishments there in New Orleans. Yeah, I never understood. I mean, it, I mean, it seemed like this guy, Clay Bertrand, the real one, <laughs> mm-hmm. would have been a fairly prominent or well-known figure in New Orleans back then at the time. If he's a bouncer at a bar, he's a bodyguard for yeah. attorney – you know, the people would have known and somebody would have told Garrison, look, man, there's there's really a guy named Clay Bertrand. OK, well, um, yeah, that's that's possible. Now, I don't know how much in the local newspapers, if at all, uh, if anybody ever uh, that, you know, that part of the story came out that they were claiming uh, Clay Shaw was this Bertrand character. So it might have not been as uh, widely known, you know, to the uh, public at that time. It might have been something that was like uh, within the investigation, you know, and not not widely put out there at the time. You know, we read about this stuff later, but and I think I I don't know. At the time of Garrison's investigation, he was this the real Clay Bertrand. I think he was in another state, like as a used car Mm. or something at the time. Mm So maybe, you know, he had fallen out of memory by then, you know, from 19... Okay. Okay, yeah, that's interesting, man. And, I mean, hey, it's, I... 
Huh. I I got some kind of crazy stuff about uh, Fred Crisman that I think is new information. Well, let's get into it. I'm, <laughs> I mean, we've all heard about the Maury Island incident and all this. Oh yeah, no, it's it's beyond that. Is I'm trying I'm trying to figure out if I can even explain this to you. <laughs> trying to wrap my head around it. All right. Okay. Um, so there are a, a couple other. Uh, researchers I've been uh, talking to. They live in uh, kind of in the, I think they're in the Tacoma area. And they're interested in Fred Crisman, uh, Jeff Suwak and uh, Kirk uh, Nelson are their names. Suwak has a uh, website where he's kind of doing some posts on Crisman's book, Murder of the City. Right. And so, yeah, they have an interest in that. And so I've been communicating with these guys, and they were looking at this angle about uh, Chrisman's involvement with a group called the Servants of Awareness. Are you familiar with that at all? No. Huh? <laughs> okay. So it's mentioned in Joan Mellon's book that, uh, and it's kind of one of those passing comments that in the Quote is basically, I'm paraphrasing Mellon, that Chrisman was investigated by the Olympia Police Department for his uh, activities with a group called the Servants of Awareness, and this was involving drug trafficking. Uh, So it's mentioned in uh, Mellon's book, but she really gives no... uh, source or attribute it, you know, attributes it to anything. And she's usually pretty good at uh, giving sources in her books, even if, you know, sometimes the sources aren't all that great, you know. So we were uh, discussing this and, you know, uh, and I said, well, you know, that claim originally came from, she just borrowed it ran with it from uh, something that appeared in the Crawdaddy magazine in 1975. I don't know if you've ever heard of Crawdaddy magazine. No. Uh-uh. It was uh, published by a guy named Paul Williams who started writing for Rolling Stone, and he started his own mag. Crawdaddy, which is a pretty good magazine for a few years if you look that up, and uh, in a lot of those magazines, they had uh, they'd always devote a few pages to uh, politics and uh, conspiracy politics in a section called Craw Doodad. And in uh, I actually have a copy of the article. And in one of those, it mentioned uh, that same allegations, you know, other allegations that about Chrisman, but also this thing that he'd been involved or investigated by the Olympia PD for drug trafficking with these uh, group servants of awareness. And so I I went back and looked at that article, and uh, it was attributed to the Assassination Research Bureau. I go, well, that's a big help. Who the fuck are they, you know? Right. (laughs) Then I did then I did a Google search, and I found out that it was a group that uh, Carl Zogelby started in Washington, D.C. Okay. In the 70s, and Oglesby wrote the 
Yankee and Cowboy War, so he was into this stuff. And so they were kind of a clearinghouse for JFK assassination information. And so what I think, it was some information that was passed on to him by uh, Garrison or Garrison, you know, people connected with Garrison. There was a, you know, a few of them looking into Chrisman. But once again, okay, we don't <laughs> don't know where this came from, you know. So I'm telling these guys, well, <laughs> what do you do with that, you know? And then they told me, well, it's mentioned in the uh, Chrisman's grand jury testimony. This, and I go, what? I don't remember <laughs> seeing that. And they said, uh, yeah, here it is. And uh, there was a transcription error. So if you read uh, a certain part, they, uh, Garrison asks or his staff asks him, about service of awareness, which was a transcription error. He was talking about this group, Servants of Awareness. Oh. And uh, Chrisman said he he was aware of the group, but he he wasn't involved with them, you know? Right. So, <laughs> so it gets crazier from there. Uh, so Servants of Awareness were a uh, basically a UFO channeling group. You know, the like uh, these groups that have a trance channeler that uh, will channel these uh, alien ent- entities. Wow. And the uh, Servants of Awareness later became Cosmic Awareness Communications, which I, I knew of those guys. So when I was reading this stuff, okay, I knew that group in the 70s and 80s. You'd see these channeled messages. They'd come out. They had like a newsletter. uh once a month, and a lot of it was uh, ET entities, about ET entities, whatever, visiting the Earth, but there was some conspiracy stuff in there, pretty wacky shit, but, uh, so, oh boy, Rob, this gets convoluted, but I'll keep going there if you want me to. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds a little bit like Scientology, but let's let's go. <laughs> uh, so... Apparently, uh, the dude who started this group was named uh, Frank Duby, D-U-B-Y. And so I, I started doing uh, a little web search and looking around, and I found that Frank, this Frank Duby guy of the, of the Servants of Awareness had uh, been involved in the 50s with a group in Seattle called the center of integration. Yeah, I told you this gets convoluted with a lot of different names and stuff. The center for integration was a church, but it was just a uh, gaggle of a few people and they were into trans channeling as well. Kind of like Edgar Casey. If you ever heard of them, they had uh, a following and people would come in and they had a couple of channelers in the group and, People would come in and ask questions about their health or uh, whatever, uh, their right. personal life, and these channelers would give them information. So this group in uh, 1958 found out that uh, they'd read The Doors of Perception by Alex uh, Aldous Huxley, you know, about uh, psychedelic drugs, and they found out in 58 that they could get uh, LSD from Sandoz Laboratories in uh, 
Switzerland sent to them for free because they were a church, an unincorporated church. Wow. So they did. I mean, this shit's documented, too. I can show you all the sources. And this was really one of the first uh, LS, you know, when LSD started making its way into the U.S. So uh, they were they started using acid and they were channeling. And so this Frank Doobie guy, the Center for Integration kind of fizzled out or it splintered into different groups. And they splintered into this uh, group, the Servants of Awareness. Uh, okay, let me see where to. <laughs> so uh, these guys I'm working with, uh, they contacted the uh, servants of awareness as they are today. The group's still around, you know, as uh, Cosmic Awareness Communications, and uh, they got a bunch of the historical documents. And uh, it is said that yeah, they were uh, using LSD, but. And there was also a CIA influence early on with this Frank Doobie guy that he was somehow influenced or manipulated by the CIA. That sounds about right. <laughs> and so, look, looking at all this stuff, and it's like, is this could this be the Chrisman connection? You know, whether he's with the CIA or not. You know, was he? <laughs> did he tell him he was with the CIA? What the fuck's going on with all this stuff, you know, so, so from that point, I was thinking, okay, let's look at what was, uh, is there any, uh, involvement with Chrisman, with drugs, you know, that's been documented, and, um, he did in 1958, it was either 57 or 58, and I write about this in one of those posts, he was, uh, picked up for disorderly content, uh, conduct, basically drunk driving, and he was under the – they also discovered he was under the influence of uh, barbiturates, and he got into a bit of a row with the uh, cops there. And so he got arrested, and uh, at that time he was like a uh, school administrator. That was his job, right. instructor, and he got fired. So, so let's move to like this – the 60s now, uh, the period where he was supposedly involved with the servants of awareness, and that would have been like 67 or 68. Uh, So once again, I document this in one of the articles. This is from a newspaper article, and it was either 67, I think it was 67. Uh, Chrisman was working as a uh, teacher again at a high school and remember that was his alibi in like 63 that uh, other teachers placed him uh, at a uh, school being a substitute teacher on the uh, during the JFK assassination when it went down so in 67 he got in trouble and uh, lost his job at this uh, high school and I believe uh, not sure if it was in Mount in Olympia or Tacoma, somewhere in those parts. And the reason he got fired was because uh, he had basically brought together a secret group of uh, high school students, kind of like a (laughs) secret society he had going on. And uh, I don't – 
have the wording right in front of me, but uh, it was uh, something that the school administration found less than desirable. Right. What what they were involved in, and it was like a secret group, you know. Uh, so you got fired. And so what the hell was going on there? You know, was this <laughs> having to do with LSD? Was this perhaps uh, the saucer cult? Who knows? We haven't been able to find more uh, information. But so there's that little bit, you know. That's that's pretty weird. It's kind of like uh, Ferry also had a similar group of young men that he brought together. I don't know if you've ever studied that angle called like uh, hypnotism and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess the last part of this is, uh, okay, so what else, you know, what was Chrisman involved with? Well, he was involved during this period with Beckham, and they were doing, you know, UFO conferences, so there's some connection there. Uh, Chrisman was kind of a right-winger. These uh, servants of awareness were kind of acid-gobbling hippies, as far as I can tell. That doesn't necessarily <laughs> make make a good match, but... If you look during that period, in his, I picked up a copy of Murder of a City, yes. the book he wrote as John Gold. Have you read that at all, or you looked at that? Yeah, I got that myself it was a couple of years ago, as a matter of fact, yeah. Okay, so I think what's going on with that book, part of it is a lot of spin Yeah. by Chrisman. He says he's battling, he's kind of a right-winger, battling a corrupt... Uh, city government of a bunch of uh, left-wingers who are doing a bunch of bad shit. And uh, one of the things he talks about early on in that book, and I kind of demonstrate why I think this was spin, one of the guys he goes after is the dude who ran the local business, Better Business Bureau. Because <laughs> yeah. if you see in some of the articles, the Better Business Bureau was on him for a lot of the sketchy stuff he was involved with. And uh, then later in the book, he talks about how another friend of his who ran a used car lot was attacked by the city government. They ran him out of business and the local newspaper. They were all in on this scam. But at the same time this was happening, the FBI was also looking at Chrisman for being involved in, uh, like, uh, taking uh, – Cars used cars to Florida and selling them like they'd been ripped off or something. And in the book, Chrisman claims that he actually helped his friend friend out by taking over his car used car lot. You know, so all right. these things seem like spin by uh, Chrisman. But so let's get into the uh, drug part of it. In uh, one of the characters that shows up is that uh, Marshall. Reconosuda, who was Michael Reconosuda's father, you know, Michael, this is getting convoluted, isn't it? But yeah, it's uh, part of the octopus thing, right? Yeah. And uh, and Mike Marshall Reconosuda ran like a PR firm, and I think uh, Chrisman did some work for him. And at one part in the story, they talk about how. Uh, and the way it's explained in the book, it's like it really doesn't make a lot of uh, sense. But uh, Reconosuto, 
besides his PR firm and other stuff he was doing, he took over a pharmaceutical firm that was going out of business. And there was like some uh, lab equipment that uh, Reconosuto took over and put in storage. He wasn't using it, supposedly. But at one point in the uh, murder of the city, the stuff gets ripped off, you know, and Crisman claims it's whoever, hippies associated with the local government or something. Something wasn't quite right. And then there was an LSD uh, bust. And uh, I think he was claiming that uh, these hippies had stole that drug equipment and made LSD, and then the local government tried to pin this on uh, <laughs> Chrisman and Reconosuto. It's never quite clear, you know. It would be interesting to go back and look at uh, if there's any information in the newspapers. And the, the whole book gets crazier from there that uh, these there was uh, – murder attempts made on Chrisman by this group, et cetera, et cetera. And so what to make of all this, you know? I, I'm not sure, but I think it might be connected with this LSD and servants of awareness and who knows Chrisman's involvement. It's just, it's kind of a confusing mess, you know? Uh, a yes. Mormon... Mormon going aircraft okay. back then, didn't he? What's that? Um, Chrisman didn't he work for uh, Boeing for for a time? Well, that was uh, before that, and I'm not sure how uh, involved or how long that really was. Uh, I'm not sure if he even worked for Boeing. He might have applied applied for a job there. I've read some of that stuff. I mean, and just said he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a lot of the history you get about Chrisman sometimes uh, is what he is. <laughs> it's the story he was telling because in Murder of the City, we don't hear that he got fired from his high school job for doing something with high school kids he shouldn't have done. We don't right. hear about Beckham. <laughs> we don't hear about all that stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, Kind of to wind this up, uh, maybe a more mundane explanation of what, you know, the connection there was with the servants of awareness. You know, that was the period uh, Chrisman was putting out, I think, maybe a newsletter for the psychic research group. And he was involved in UFOs. So I could see him and the servants of awareness group trading ads or having some type of knowledge of each other because they're both kind of involved with UFOs. But I don't There's just a lot of dangling threads there, you know, with this whole story, you know, what uh, uh, Chrisman and Service of Awareness and LSD, who knows? Maybe it's a whole lot of nothing or maybe there's more to this that who knows if we'll ever get to the bottom of it. Yeah, well, it sounds like he got turned on at some point back then. With <laughs> you know, like like a lot of these latent homosexuals, you know, they just kept it under wraps. You know, and made it look like yeah. they were somebody that they really weren't. But mm-hmm. that they, he was still dabbling with all this stuff. You know. Yeah. Oh, for sure, big time. Yeah. And interesting too. Um, I live about 
20 miles from Martinsburg, West Virginia, where okay. Danny oh, yeah, yeah. was found dead. I remember when this happened, too, like in, yeah. back in 91, because I was in, I think I was a senior in high school. And I remember hearing about it, but I mean, in, in your article, you, you wrote that the notes were discovered that mentioned MJ-12, extraterrestrial, Area 51. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, well, yeah, Michael Reconosuto was sounded like he was the one who was providing that uh, that type of information to Danny Casolero. I think that's where he got it from was uh, Michael Reconosuto, who was the son of Marshall Reconosuto, who's involved with Chrisman. And uh, Michael Reconosuto later said that, yeah, he helped Chrisman during that period bug the offices of the local government because the local government was – bugging Chrisman and his right. uh, confederates and uh, Michael Reconosuto was uh, busted for uh, uh, you know uh, involvement with uh, meta-amphetamines hmm. he denied those allegations but that's what he he said he was set up you know so that's once again the kind of uh, drug angle that he was uh, might have been the chemist uh, cooking up uh, meth or, you know, and it kind of goes back to his dad having uh, that lab equipment. I mean, it's just uh, all these kind of weird angles that kind of connect, but then, you know, not totally. It's like – and, yeah, Reconosuto said, yeah, Chrisman was his mentor. He's another one that's like – Oh man, is this just another fucking guy telling stories? Yeah, it's I mean it's crazy. I mean these guys, well, he seems to have his hand in everything. I mean, yeah, just a little bit of all this weird shit that was going on from the fifties, sixties, and even into the seventies. Yeah, and the one thing too I liked in your article you um, about Chrisman's death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just explain a little bit about how or what he thought was going on as he was pretty much dying. Oh boy. It's been a while since I wrote it, but he was being abducted by aliens. Is that? <laughs> yeah. I think he passed out because of kidney failure. Right. Yeah. And then I, he yeah, was in the ahead. hospital, woke up in the hospital and thought he had been abducted by aliens onto a spaceship. <laughs> yeah. That's what his son, Fred Crisman, uh, junior said in a, uh, interview several years back and yeah Chrisman promoted himself uh, at one time or another as uh, the uh, basically as uh, the character in the invaders you know uh, remember that show in the 1960s he was the real I forget the character of name of that show the star was Roy Thinnis but he said he was like that show was based on his life. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, not really, but so he was, you know, promoting him, promoting all these different angles about himself that he was uh, an insight UFO insider and had these intelligence agency connections and all kinds of stuff. Even the book Murder of the City, you know, I'm just not sure. I looked at the name of some of the people mentioned that, and they were all prominent politicians during that uh, period. But I don't, you know, 
it's hard to tell, you know, where reality ends and the spin begins with uh, the whole Chrisman story. So, Reverend Bashirs, do, do we think that uh, he was telling the truth or full of shit when it comes to anything connected with the Kennedy assassination? Or he's just an opportunist who happened to be in a certain place <laughs> at a certain time? Uh, well, yeah, I add to that. Uh, he had some uh, mental issues. Yeah. <laughs> But he on he was a, a lot of contradictions. He did a lot of good in the uh, in San Francisco. He was known as uh, he helped run a center where they you know fed the poor and people on the streets. You know, uh, and he was involved in like uh, causes for helping. Uh, veterans who came back but then you know it also appears you look at the FOIA stuff and Larry Hancock that uh, he'd get pissed off at people too and he started informing on some of the vets he was helping and he uh, the first gay uh, pride parade they had there in uh, San Francisco he was one of the organizers but he's always getting into infights with all these guys and they basically uh, he got kicked out of the group, so the next year he started his own gay pride parade in competition with the other one. So he was there was infighting with everybody. He was just a, a crazy character who, uh, and definitely, uh, yeah, I think uh, who knows if he was. I don't think any of his information about uh, the JFK assassination ferry. Etc. had any uh, foundation in reality, but was he totally bullshitting? Was he kind of nuts, confabulating? Was he delusional? Yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, for sure. Well, he was but, like another one of those kooks that loved to to write J. Edgar Hoover letters. <laughs> you, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> I posted a few of those. That cracks me up. It's like, and back in those days, I. I can't see the uh, director of the FBI fucking an- answering letters from all these uh, kooks, but, you know. He did. It seems yeah. Like, or so he had somebody doing it for him. Well, Whoa. it's his, his signature on there, so he okayed whatever, he pro- you know, they probably felt, hey, it's a good <laughs> way of doing business. Let's be direct with this guy. <laughs> we have yeah. no idea what we're, you're talking about, what we appreciate, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you never know what. You know, psycho, you're gonna piss off. It's gonna come after you. So, my... <laughs> yeah. And in the meantime, they're you know creating a file on him, like this guy is, you know, claiming to be this church, that church. Oh the, yeah, they this, they uh, they were definitely. He was on their list. It was during the COINTELPRO period, so he was one of the. He was also you know an anti-war activist. So the FBI was, you know, looking closely at those people's, you know, this was during the period when you had the, all the bombings and shit going on. So <laughs> the FBI was really heavily infiltrating all of these groups with all these different uh, anti-war people involved. And brochures was, he was like, you know, f- for a period of time there, he was at the, uh, he was one of, you know, 
one of the most active dudes there in uh, San Francisco. Yeah, good-looking fella too. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> He's a character. Not his mustache is not as sweet as yours though. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right, Adam, man, I think we pretty much got a lot of this accomplished. And if folks want to check out even more parts of the story, um, they can go to historiadiscordia.com and just search for Raymond Brashears. And, and I think you have, what, six or seven parts to this? <laughs> yeah, it got kind of crazy. There were six parts, and there was an addendum on Billy Ray uh, Harges. And, uh, yeah. So it, I got pretty crazy with that one, but uh, it's, uh, you know, that last part six, I came across the FOIA released. I didn't even know that was out there, so that brought in more of information. So, yeah, it, it got pretty involved. Like you said, go to historiadiscordia.com and punch brochures in the search engine, and if they want to get into all this uh Happy horse shit about brochures and Chrisman and Beckham and that's yep. the way to do it. Yep, and you know you're you're an author, you're a musician. They can there's links here to buy your books, Historia Discordia, and of course the book we talked about last time you were on the show, Caught in the Crossfire, uh, Carrie Thornley, Lee Oswald, and the Garrison Investigation, and the Prankster and the Conspiracy, and 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 many many other ones. Um, you get into some crazy shit. So, <laughs> uh, I appreciate you coming back on the show, man. It's been a blast and, and very informative and interesting. And, uh, Thanks, thank man. You. Yeah, no problem. I've just started back doing the show a couple weeks ago, so I figured, you know, we and we've been talking through the years, you know, here and there through emails and, you know, exchanging information about these crazy some bitches down there and, and, uh, <laughs> You know, it's nice to have you back on the show. Good to talk to you again. And, uh, yeah, if you got anything else, just let me know. <laughs> okay, I will do, man. <laughs> for right, sure. Thank, thank you, Adam. You hang on for a second, folks. Um, for more, head to Twitter at TheLoneGunman7. You can follow me there. Um, at Spreaker.com backslash TheLoneGunmanPodcast. That's where you can find all New shows, the whole archives, it's all free. Go check it out. Bear with me with the uh, commercials. It's it's paying the bills. Uh, that's it for now. Thanks to my guest, Adam Gobrightly, for joining me again. And we'll see you next time, folks.
You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. At Farmers Insurance, we know every windshield collision has a unique sound. Beetle. Bird poop. Drone. Seen it? Covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.